Welcome in everybody, welcome into season two of the Dynasty Underground. I'm your host, Derek Womack. You can follow me on Twitter at Dino Underground. That's at D-Y-N-O Underground. And this is the season two premiere. I'm excited. We're doing rookie ranks. Round one rookie ranks to be more specific. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of people have been asking me, um, a lot of people sliding into the DMs. Hey, you know, Dino Underground, are you doing a season two? You know, I enjoyed season one. Are you going to do a season two? And the answer was, of course. Of course, I'm doing a season two. I was never not doing a season two. Honestly, I had to do a season two. I have to do a season two because my services are needed, are still needed in this industry. In this community and this isn't me trying to sound full of myself this isn't me trying to be conceited or trying to say that I'm better than the next guy any of that because I'm not but when I see some of the ADPs going on you know I've done this research for you guys and I've brought it up multiple times and apparently it bears repeating so, of course, I'm doing a season two. Um, more specifically, I'll get into one example. People are drafting Michael Carter, not only in the first round of, of Dynasty rookie drafts, which is egregious enough on its own, but they're drafting Michael Carter ahead of Jalen Waddell, ahead of Rashad Bateman, ahead of Devontae Smith, I mean, it does not make any sense. And I get it. You know, you're thinking, oh, but Dino Underground, you know, he he's a starter. He's a starting running back. He got drafted to be the starter. And maybe, but we're talking about a fourth round running back here. Okay. I've done, I've done all of... I've done all that work for you. Okay, and let's go back and revisit from last year. So over the last decade, there have only been four round four running backs finish in the top 12. And if you're drafting a running back in the first round of your dynasty rookie draft, they have to have RB1 upside. They have to. If, it, if they don't, you're wasting your draft pick. And of those four, only two of them ever had another RB1 season. Okay? Now, you also factor in the statistic that we know over the last decade, 75% of RB1s in fantasy have had a speed score above the 60th percentile, at or above the 60th percentile. Michael Carter is sitting at the 28th percentile. You know why? Because his speed was average, 4.59, that's that's dead even, 50th percentile. But he's only 201 pounds. Okay, so he's not fast, and he's small, makes for a laughably low speed score. I mean, even if even if he has some fantasy-relevant weeks. He's going to have some fantasy-relevant weeks, I'm sure. We may not know when it is because, guess what? That backfield is full of Michael Carters. Okay, we have Ty Johnson. We have LaMichael P. Ryan. We have Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman's going to get work. Of course Tevin Coleman's going to get work. He's the closest thing to an NFL running back in that backfield. But let's just say... Michael Carter is named the quote-unquote starter going to day one. This guy is 5'8", 201 pounds. He's not going to be a long-term dynasty asset. There's no chance of it. There's absolutely zero chance of it. He's a fourth-round dude, and he's not particularly fast, and he's small. The only thing he has going for him is his pass-catching ability. That's it. That's the only thing. But we there's a lot of good running backs that are 
proficient in the passing game that just aren't reliable every week starters in fantasy. And I'm sorry, when you're small and slow and you have fourth round draft capital, there's no reason for it. There's no reason for to be drafting Michael Carter, especially ahead of day one wide receivers. We know that 49% of day one wide receivers go on to at least at some point in their career have at least one 1,000 yard season. Okay, we know that. That drops off to the mid 20s for day twos and around 19% for day three or for round three guys. So, yeah, mid 20s for round two, um, round 18, 19, 20 for round three. Okay, so, I mean, you'd almost be better off taking any wide receiver. Any wide receiver in the first round over Michael Carter, yes. Most wide receivers in the second round over Michael Carter. If you want to take him over 2-2 Atwell, players like that, I get it. You know, deep threats, 155 pounds, whatever he is. I 100% understand that. But you cannot be taking Michael Carter over these day one wide receivers. And there's a couple of them that I don't even love. But... It doesn't mean I'm drafting small, slow, round four running backs ahead of them. That's just, that's bad process. You know, I mean, maybe, let's just say on the off chance, Michael Carter hits. Let's say that. That's still not something you want to make a habit of. Just based on the numbers I've laid out alone. That's just not, you know, that's that's a good way to... Just throw away first-round picks in your dynasty rookie drafts. I mean, honestly, you would be better off if you're going to draft Michael Carter. If that's what your plan is, you would be so much better off from a percentage standpoint just trading that pick for any player that will be a contributor to your starting roster. Any player. I don't care if it's quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, whatever. Do not draft Michael Carter in the first round. If that's what your plan is, do yourself a favor and either trade back or just trade that pick for any player that will make your starting roster better. But we have to get in to the dynasty Rookie rankings round one. Yes, sir. The lightsaber sound effect. Let's close that down. All right. We've got. Oh, I'm so excited for this. I haven't done this in a while. Um, all right. Let's just get into it at 101 overall. Now, this is for single quarterback. And honestly, I'm going to start doing some more super flex and 2QB stuff because the numbers are out. The numbers are out. The numbers are in, however you want to say it. We are shifting towards super flex and 2QB a large percentage, uh, I mean, a majority of new Dynasty Leagues created on Sleeper are super flex or 2QB. <coughs> and... You know, we got to change with the times. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with it. If you've never done a Superflex or 2QB League, you should do it. They're, they're a lot of fun. It's a completely different game. It adds a whole new valuable position. And they're a lot of fun. I highly recommend them. But for this particular round one, we will do single quarterback. I will do a super flex round one at some point but single quarterback 101 round one we've got Travis Etienne running back Jacksonville Jaguars yes he is the RB1 for me he's ahead of Najee Harris he's ahead of Jonte Williams um the reason I have him ahead of Najee Harris you know that's the general one-two punch consensus right there is it's a few reasons. I love both these players. 
I really, I really do. I like both of these players a lot, but one of these players is over a year younger than the other, and that's Travis Etienne. He's a full year younger. I think he's like 13 months younger than Najee Harris. So we have an extra year of production. You know, Najee Harris is 23 years old. You know, at this point last last season, Todd Gurley was 25, and we were done with him. The dynasty community as a whole was done with him at 25 years old. Najee Harris is already 23. He hasn't even taken a snap in the NFL yet. He's already 23 years old. I'm not saying he's going to be washed by 25, but I'm saying he's probably not going to make it beyond his rookie contract as far as being a valuable dynasty asset goes. Now, Travis Etienne, a full year younger, and on the surface level, it seems like Najee Harris is in the better situation. You know, he'll come in, he'll be the locked and loaded starter on a team that's, you know, historically been a great running team. But, you know, this is dynasty. Now, I kind of do think Najee Harris will outscore Travis Etienne in 2021. But we've got to think about, you know, two, three years down the road. The Pittsburgh offense is in decline. Big Ben is in decline. We, I mean, their offensive line is in decline. We have no idea who the quarterback of that team is going to be next year. We definitely don't know who it's going to be the year after that. We, I mean, they might cycle through a handful of quarterbacks throughout Najee Harris's rookie contract. Travis Etienne, on the other hand, the complete opposite. That offense is ascending. The quarterback upgraded. The offensive line upgraded. The offensive weapons upgraded. Travis Etienne is he's in just such a safe spot. We know who his quarterback is going to be throughout his entire career, at least in Jacksonville. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence, the one of the most bust-proof quarterbacks we've seen in quite some time. So just based on longevity and overall situation, you know, Travis Etienne's team is ascending Najee Harris's team is descending so it's got to be Travis Etienne for me at number one number two is not Najee Harris it is wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals Jamar Chase you know I I just called Trevor Lawrence a bus proof quarterback but Jamar Chase is a bus proof wide receiver you know, last year, our bus-proof wide receiver was CeeDee Lamb. This year, it's Jamar Chase. We don't necessarily have one every year, but we have one this year. His name is Jamar Chase. He has everything you want. He's got size, speed, route-running acumen, got the draft capital. He, like Travis Etienne ahead of him, he's on an ascending offense. You know, you got the new quarterback. He's got other weapons to throw to, no tight end. They have Joe Mixon, who's capable in the passing game, but they don't really use him that way a whole lot. I mean, this target consolidation is going to be boiled down largely to Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, and T. Higgins. And I'm okay with that. They're going to be one of the most pass-heavy teams likely in the NFL. They'll at least be in the top half of, you know, pass-calling plays. There's going to be plenty to go around for all three of these guys. And... I mean, Jamar Chase is he's a better prospect than both T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. We know Tyler Boyd's a little bit older. We know he could have a contract coming up, you know, sooner rather than later. Look, I mean, sooner at some point, Jamar Chase is going to be the alpha number one wide receiver in this passing game with a good quarterback and Joe Burrow. I mean if you want to play the shower narrative, yes, they were college teammates in the most high-powered offense in college history. There's a lot to like here. Jamar Chase, bus-proof wide receiver, coming in at number two. At number three, we have the aforementioned Najee Harris. <clears throat> I have Harris above Javante Williams. Javante Williams is a little bit younger, 
Yes, but I like Najee Harris as a prospect, you know, as a talent better than Javante Williams. I I like his situation at the very least about the same. You know, Javante Williams isn't in the best situation. It's not like we know who we don't know what that offense is going to look like next year or the year after that. So it kind of came down to you know, talent and value for me. Najee Harris is routinely mocked as the number one overall pick. Javante Williams really isn't. So that tells you right there that Najee Harris is the more valuable dynasty asset. So based on that alone, even if it's even if I like Javante Williams' talent better, you have to be able to recognize, which I don't, I like Najee Harris better, but you have to be able to recognize where these players are valued. And so that's why I have Najee Harris number three. I do have Javante Williams at number four. Why do I have Williams over, you know, one of these other wide receivers or Kyle Pitts? It's simple. Just because I don't like him as much as Najee Harris doesn't mean that he's not a good running back. He's he's a he's an awesome running back. He's got great draft capital. You know, they got the trade up in the early second round to grab Javante Williams. We've already seen the sleeper notifications that say it that say, you know, he could be the day one starter. Honestly, the Broncos could cut Melvin Gordon. He's a likely candidate to be cut. Honestly, I I would honestly be probably more surprised if the Broncos didn't cut Melvin Gordon before the season because there's almost no dead cap. They traded up for Javante Williams. You might as well use the dude. Um, and you know, let's say let's say Javante Williams quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater. I think that's who it'll be, and I don't hate it. Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, off the top of my head, he's the only quarterback I can think of. And sit down. Sit down before I say this out loud, because it's not going to sound right. Teddy Bridgewater supported four different players in 2020 that went above 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Four different players. You had DJ Moore with over 1,100 receiving yards. You had Robbie Anderson with over 1,000 receiving yards. You had Curtis Samuel with over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. You had Mike Davis with over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Now, I would say Javante Williams is better than Mike Davis. If you're going to give him the same quarterback and, in my opinion, a better offensive line, Javante Williams could be an absolutely serviceable running back as early as this year. So that's why I have Javante Williams at number four ahead of the guy I have at number five, Kyle Pitts. I know, I know, I know. Oh, you're too low on Kyle Pitts. He's a generational tight end. He's a once-in-a-lifetime tight end prospect. I understand. I, I know the narrative. I know, I mean, you talk about perspective value. Good Lord. Kyle Pitts' value, his ADP, is through the roof. I'm in a redraft best ball right now. Kyle Pitts went in the third round. Kyle Pitts went in the third round as the tight end three ahead of George Kittle. It went Kelsey Waller Pitts. That's that's just not right. <laughs> it's just insane. You can't be doing that. You want to draft Kyle Pitts as the tight end three or tight end four in Dynasty? A Dynasty startup? Okay. That's a little understandable. But I mean, not in a redraft. Get your I mean, get a hold of yourselves, guys. Come on now. I mean, Twitter is an excellent place for information excellent place for an exchange of ideas but I mean everybody's in a race to see how the, everybody wants to be the high guy on Kyle Pitts and you, down the road it's probably going to look like a good thing but you know just two years ago we had two first round tight ends one of them top 10 everybody was losing their minds over these guys these are you know TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant they're, they're good players. They've only been in the league two years. Tight ends take time to develop. 
They've always taken time to develop. Unless your name is Mike Ditka. <laughs> that's about that's, that's about it. Evan Ingram had a pretty good rookie year. I think Hunter Henry had a pretty good rookie year. But they, they weren't difference makers. And I think I think having Kyle Pitts at number five is completely fair. Because most tight ends don't even have that. They're not super valuable in trade. There's three tight ends right now that are just really valuable trade targets. That's Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and George Kittle. And I don't even know how valuable those guys are to half your league. I mean, if half the league's contenders and half the league are rebuilders, I don't think any rebuilders are trading for Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller. Maybe George Kittle. He's, what, 27, 28? So maybe George Kittle. But, I, I mean, look, I love Kyle Pitts. I fully expect Kyle Pitts to be pushing for the overall tight end one spot at some point in his career. But not in year one. Probably not in year two. Maybe year three. But don't forget, by Kyle Pitts' year three, TJ Hawkinson will only be in year five. Noah Fant will only be in year five. We're going to have some great tight ends still up there with him. Um, but, like I said, to me, five is completely fair. You get the three running backs ahead of him. You get the bus-proof wide receiver ahead of him. And then he's basically, he's a bus-proof tight end, in my opinion. And that makes him worthy of being ahead of the next guy who I love. Love this wide receiver. If you are following me on Twitter, you know who I'm going to say. You know I'm going with my man, wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens, Rashad Bateman. I'm going to give Rashad Bateman the lightsaber sound effect. Okay. Um... Look, we all loved Rashad Bateman. We all loved Rashad Bateman pre-draft. He was most people he was in most people's top three wide receivers. Then he gets drafted by the Baltimore Ravens, and people now want Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore and you know players like that and Michael Carter. Makes no sense, Michael Carter. Um, anyways, you know they want to start dropping Rashad Bateman down the list, but we have a rule in place to prevent that. If you follow me on Twitter, you know what rule I'm talking about. I'm talking about the AJ Brown rule. The AJ Brown rule is in full effect with Rashad Bateman, and if you're unfamiliar with the A.J. Brown rule. Let me lay it out. I will lay it out for you. I'm sure you can infer what it is anyways, but I can't really articulate it as well on Twitter as I can with my actual words verbally. So let's rewind the clock to the 2019 draft. We all love A.J. Brown. You know, everybody's top two wide receivers, top three wide receivers in some order is Nikhil Harry, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Okay, it's some of those, it's one of the, those three are usually the top three. A.J. Brown gets drafted by the Tennessee Titans. And all of a sudden, he plummets. His ADP plummets. He goes from a mid-first rounder to a mid-second rounder. He's being drafted behind Hollywood Brown, behind Andy Isabella, behind me, Cole Hardman. Why? Why? Well, because, oh, Tennessee is too run heavy. Tennessee already has Corey Davis, who has shown some flashes. They run the ball too much. We don't trust Marcus Mariota. There's just not enough volume to go around for A.J. Brown to be fantasy relevant. So it sucks. Love the player. Hate the landing spot. 
gotta move him down. But then what happens? What was one of my my main themes of of last offseason? The talent will show out. The cream rises to the top. The talented players will get used, especially talented players with high draft capital. So what happens? Um, A.J. Brown is a great player, so he's great on the field. That's that's it. They you you know you have a great player like A.J. Brown, you do things to get A.J. Brown the ball. That's it. You can't just give the ball to Derrick Henry every time. Yeah, A.J. Brown's better than Corey Davis. That's why Corey Davis got relegated. We all loved A.J. Brown, and then he got drafted to a perceived bad landing spot, even though it, you can make an argument that it wasn't that bad of a landing spot because there was not a whole lot of there weren't a whole lot of obstacles in between AJ Brown and one of the highest target shares in the NFL because there was no established number one. There was not much of a hierarchy at all at the wide receiver position or tight end or pass catching running back. AJ Brown walked into a spot to hog all the targets and I mean, he's just so great. He's so efficient with the targets he gets that's why he is, in my opinion, the dynasty overall wide receiver one now. Now let's fast forward from 2018 to 2020. We have Rashad Bateman. Same situation. Most people's top three wide receivers coming into the draft were Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman. Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Devontae Smith, something along those lines. Those were the big three. Well, Rashad Bateman gets drafted to the Baltimore Ravens. And now all of a sudden his ADP is plummeting into the second round. Going behind Michael Carter. Going behind a round four running back. A small, slow round four running back. There's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. Now, I've had somebody on Twitter, you know, I... I've been touting Rashad Bateman under, you know, under the scope of the A.J. Brown rule. I had some nice gentleman on Twitter tell me, oh, well, the difference is A.J. Brown had a quarterback. And I said, okay, well, so does Rashad Bateman. He says, no, Rashad Bateman has a running back. You realize... Lamar Jackson led the league in touchdown passes just two years ago, correct? Talking about a quarterback with a career 64% completion percentage, right? I mean, what are we talking about here? What are you talking about Rashad Bateman doesn't have a quarterback? Yes, he has a quarterback. Is Lamar Jackson the most accurate thrower in the league? No, but he's fine. He's a fine quarterback. Um, I mean, he's like I said, career 64% completion percentage. Up until last year, Josh Allen had never at any level of football, any level of, you know, post high school football had a completion percentage above 60%. We had no problem taking Stefan Diggs. Now, Stefan Diggs is better than Rashad Bateman. I get it. We're not taking Rashad Bateman where we're where we took Stephon Diggs. Give me a break. But what I'm saying is don't let, you know, I I preached it all last year. Lamar Jackson was going to regress. That was never not going to happen. Then he goes out and regresses as, you know, as he should. And now all of a sudden everyone's scared of his pass catchers. Look, Hollywood Brown, not a number one wide receiver. Not, I wouldn't want him as number one on my team. Willie, Slee, Willie Sneed, no. Miles Boykin, no. Mark Andrews, great tight end. But, you know, let's put some things in context here. Would I want Lamar Jackson's number one wide receiver 
as the number one wide receiver on my football team? No. I mean, we're talking last year, the year before that. No, I wouldn't. Would I want Lamar Jackson's number two wide receiver to be the number two wide receiver on my football team? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want Willie Sneed to be... I mean, you can make a case as, a, as the wide receiver three, but... I don't. I would. I would want somebody better than Willie Sneed as my wide receiver three. There's lots of teams out there with a better wide receiver three than Willie Sneed. So that's what I'm saying. The best weapon Lamar Jackson had to throw to was a wide receiver who would be a wide receiver two at best on a lot of teams. Well, we've seen. I mean, as recently as last year, how much difference wide receiver talented wide receivers help quarterbacks i talked about it all last year if you don't if you don't like you want to take my word for it go listen to one of the more recent episodes of the roto underworld with matt kelly he, he had a guest on uh john daigle i think that was a common theme throughout the show I mean, it's almost like they've been listening to my show. I'm sure they haven't. But, I mean, that was a common theme. They talked about Stephon Diggs. They talked about DeAndre Hopkins. They talked about Jamar Chase and so on and so forth. Having weapons obviously helps the quarterback. There's no question having weapons helps the quarterback. Now we we give Lamar Jackson a proper number one wide receiver. Hollywood Brown is a fine number two wide receiver. He also has now one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the league, too. It's all there for Lamar Jackson this year. His accuracy, his, I mean, his accuracy percentage, whatever you want to say, is going to be improved in 2021 over what it was in 2020. So don't tell me that Rashad Bateman doesn't have a quarterback because... Rashad Bateman's quarterback has never had a Rashad Bateman. And he's still rocking a 64% career completion percentage. He still led the league in touchdowns two years ago. He still won unanimous MVP. Don't tell me he doesn't have a quarterback. So when you're on the clock, look, if you want to take Jalen Waddell ahead of Rashad Bateman, you know, that's your prerogative. You want to take Devontae Smith over him, so on and so forth, it's your prerogative. But... Make sure it's a wide receiver that you like, who's talented, that was close to Rashad Bateman before the draft, and just above all, make sure it's not Michael Carter or Trey Sermon even. Don't take Trey Sermon over him either. There's no reason to take either one of those players ahead of Rashad Bateman. Now, I didn't mean for that to turn into a rant about Lamar Jackson, but come on. Rashad Bateman, A.J. Brown rule, it applies. He'll be the target hog there to a good, I mean, for a good quarterback. Now, that brings us to the 107. It's Miami Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddle. Now, surface level, you know, he's the 5'10 speed, speed guy, whatever. He's a good player. I mean, in the short time they were on the field together in 2019 or in 2020 in college, Waddle was out producing Devontae Smith. I'm sure you already know that. That that narrative has been beaten to the ground, but it's not something that you should let have your eyes glaze over and just dismiss it. There's some validity to it. It should be taken into account. Now, I know there's some target competition. Mike Gusecki, Devontae Parker... Will Fuller now, you know, that's fine. But Parker is a little bit older. Will Fuller is a little bit older. Deals with injury every single year except for last year where he got busted for PED. So, you know, do with that information what you will. But the point is that, yes, there's some target competition for Jalen Waddle now, but this is Dynasty and he's a great player. Um, you know, this next cluster is very close for me. 
there's, I mean, there's a teardrop between this cluster and Rashad Bateman, but this next cluster is very close. If you don't want to take Jalen Waddle because of the target competition, you want to take one of these other guys, sure, fine. I mean, I really think what the move would be is to trade down from, you know, 7 to 10, 7 to 9, somewhere around there. And just see what you can get else and then just take the last guy from this tier. But for me, it's Jalen Waddle. You know, he goes to his old college quarterback. Um, like I said, there is target competition there, but it could be gone sooner rather than later. He may not ever be a true alpha number one receiver, but I mean, this Miami team is on the up and up. You know, like I mentioned with Travis Etienne, this team's ascending and he's a talented player. And I want pieces of that offense. So 107, Jalen Waddle for me. That brings us to the 108. And I know you're listening for this guy's name, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it at 108. My 108 is Terrace Marshall. Yes, Terrace Marshall. Why Terrace Marshall? He was a, he was a day two guy. He was a round two guy, I should say. He was a round two guy. Goes to... The Carolina Panthers, there's target competition, sure. DJ Moore is there. Robbie Anderson is there. Christian McCaffrey is there. But Robbie Anderson is a free agent after this year. There is a clear path to to Terrace Marshall being the number two option, the wide receiver two, as early as 2022. He is maybe the only guy with... You know, maybe aside from Rashad Bateman and Jamar Chase. But, I mean, Terrace Marshall is one of the only guys, wide receivers in this draft class with proper alpha wide receiver size. You know, he's one of the only guys, at least they got early draft capital, that looks like a number one wide receiver. Now, he'll probably never overtake DJ Moore. But even so, like I said, that offense had three wide receivers go over a 1,000 all-purpose yards last year. Probably not going to happen this year. It'll probably be DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey. But next season, 2022, it could be DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall, Christian McCaffrey. Those could be your 1,000-yard guys right there. Um, you know, We'll see what happens with the quarterback there. Honestly, I don't expect Carolina to be any good if Sam Darnold is any good. So if Sam Darnold isn't any good and they get a high draft pick, there's some quarterbacks coming in the you know coming in the draft next year, probably not as good as this year. I can't believe they didn't take Justin Fields. They 100 they 100 should have taken Justin Fields, and then they could have flipped Sam Darnold for at least what they gave for him. But whatever, this isn't time for me to criticize the moves of NFL front offices. Um, either way. Terrace Marshall could not only be walking into the number two role in the wide receiver game for Carolina next year, but he could be getting a quarterback upgrade at the very least. Maybe even Sam Darnold turns it around. There's a small chance. There's a small chance that, you know, he's in better offense. You know, he's away from Adam Gase. You know, there's that, you know, Adam Gase touch of death that seems to follow players around. He's away from Adam Gase. He's got a more creative mind in Joe Brady, you know, a, a high reputable guy. And he's got some weapons. You know, if I think these weapons can help Lamar Jackson, then I you have to think the weapons can help Sam Darnold. I mean, we've seen Robbie Anderson be good with Sam Darnold. We've seen... It, but who was Sam Darnold throwing the ball to last year? Jamison Crowder, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. So now he's got some weapons. There's room to improve. There is a reality that he improves. And I mean, this whole offense could be ascending, and Terrace Marshall is going to be a part of that. That brings us to the 109. It's not who you think it is. It's not who you think it is. It is none other than Elijah. Moore, yes. It's Elijah Moore. 
at 109. Why? Because he's an awesome, he, dude, he's awesome. He's a little bit smaller, only 178 pounds. I'm going to bring that up in a little bit. Spoiler alert. But look, he's got athleticism, great from the slot. He, I mean, he had a fine freshman season with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf on the field. This is a player that has shown out in the face of some pretty serious adversity. Speed for days, agility for days. I mean, he's basically a better, he's a faster, more athletic version of Jamison Crowder. And Jamison Crowder is a, he's an, he's an awesome fantasy asset whenever he's healthy. Not to mention, look, I don't love Zach Wilson, but the dude's got an arm. He was the number two overall pick. There's potential there. So there's a chance for Elijah Moore to be the target leader. You know, Jamison Crowder, I think if he gets cut before the season starts, there's only a million-dollar dead cap hit, which is basically nothing. They've asked him to take a 50% pay cut already, which I can't imagine he would do. I wouldn't do it if I was him. I mean, if any of your employers, I saw this, it was a great tweet. Um, from Elvin Ryan, I think. What would you say to your employer if they asked you to take a 50% pay cut? Probably not no, but hell no, right? Um, so I'm assuming they'll probably cut Jamison Crowder. That leaves Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims, Corey Davis. I like Denzel Mims. I liked him last year. Didn't have him as a round one rookie, though, which, granted, that was a much deeper wide receiver class. But, you know, basically the point is Elijah Moore has as good a chance as anybody to be the target leader on that team as early as 2021, as early as this year. Not to mention, I love the player. I like the player quite a bit. That's going to bring me to number 10. I know you've been sitting on pins and needles. You're yelling at your phone calling me all kinds of names, I'm sure, but we're finally going to get to it. That will bring us to the one and only Devontae Smith. Yes, I've got him. I've got him in the first round. I mean, don't get your pants in an uproar, okay? Just chill out. Look, he was great in college. He was awesome. Won the Heisman Trophy, obviously. But, you know, winning the Heisman Trophy means nothing in terms of NFL success. Okay, I mean, D.D. Westbrook, not too long ago, was not only, I mean, he was a Heisman finalist. He was in New York. When Baker Mayfield won the Heisman, D.D. Westbrook was sitting right there next to him. I mean, I never heard... Heisman finalist one time when an analyst was talking about D.D. Westbrook's profile. Okay, so being a Heisman winner shouldn't automatically vault you to elite tier status for wide receiver. Especially when you're 166 pounds, man. 166 pounds? So that's so light. So this, and this I did this experiment whenever he told reporters at Alabama's Pro Day that he was 170 pounds. He verbally told them that, which I assumed he was giving giving himself a couple extra pounds, being a little generous. Of course he was. And now it's come out, you know, he did the medical combine or whatever, weighed 166 pounds. Look, I went back over the last decade, the top 24 wide receivers. There are two players, and this is kind of my concern, you know, with Elijah Moore. That's why I have them right next to each other. There are two players over the past decade that have been a top 24 wide receiver 
that weighed under 180 pounds. One of them was John Brown, who's 179, I think. And the other, and he was, you know, right around, you know, the, the early 20s. And then the other is Deshaun Jackson, who did it twice. He was wide receiver 13 one year and a low-end wide receiver 2 the year after that, I think. That's it. And he was 175 pounds. There's been nobody under 175 pounds in that time frame. And people like to compare him to Marvin Harrison. I'm sorry, as far as, you know, as a... As a size comp, you cannot use, you can't use Marvin Harrison as a size comp. Why? I mean, I'll, I'll pull it up right now. I'll pull it up on the air. Marvin Harrison was 181 pounds. When he meets that 180 pound threshold. Not 166 pounds, dude. I'm sure you've all seen the pictures of him on Twitter, online, floating around. He's so little, dude. Now, you know, he's obviously a talented player. He got, you know, the early first-round draft capital. I've already gave you the numbers. 49% of round one wide receivers go on over the past 20 years. To go, They go on to have at least one 1,000-yard season. That's almost double round two, over double round three, so on and so forth. So that's why I have Devontae Smith, even though I don't like his size. I under I recognize the talent. I have to you have to take in the draft capital into account. And so that's how he still lands in my first round. He's just he's just lower than some of these guys. He's lower than some of these guys that I believe I mean look more like productive fantasy wide receivers. You want to take like I said this whole tier with Jalen Wild, Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Devontae Smith, whatever, it's it's all one tier to me. If you want to take Devontae Smith, I wouldn't take him, I would never take him ahead of Rashad Bateman. But if you want to take him at seven, that's your prerogative. I wouldn't do it, but it's whatever, you know, it's it's all that same tier to me. But I mean that's just it. There are no there are no productive fantasy wide receivers that look like Devontae Smith. Now, I'm open to being wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. If he comes out and shows out, you know, he he doesn't have any established pass catchers ahead of him. I mean, we assume Zacharis is going to get traded or cut. We love Dallas Goddard. You know, a lot of us, I still like Jalen Rager, but... I mean, no, no player there, assuming Zach Ertz is gone, is, you can say for 100% certainty, is going to be the target hog there in Philadelphia. So, he's, I mean, like I said, you, I take all that into account, and you have to put him in your first round. I've got him there. I've got him ahead of Michael Carter. <laughs> um, I would never not have him ahead of Michael Carter. So, you know, like I said, if he shows out, it's not something that I'm just going to dismiss. You know, I will, I'll keep my eye on it. You know, it's it's a situation I'm keeping my eye on. Now, if that's going to bring us to the 111. Huh, I'm not ready to say this one out loud. The 111. Now, keep in mind all the stats I've given about first round wide receivers. <laughs> you know where this is going. It's Kadarius Tony. It's Kadarius Tony at the 111. Yes, ahead of Michael Carter, ahead of Trey Sermon. If you are just so out on Kadarius Tony and you want to take Sermon there, that's fine. You know, there's there's at least a precedent for round three running backs to be good. Um you know, like I said, there's been four round four running backs over the past decade be wide receiver ones. Only two of them are ever repeated. There's been 15 round three guys, which is where Trey Sermon went. And 10 of those guys repeated. So, 
it's much more forgivable. It's much more rational to have Trey Sermon ahead of Kadarius Tony than it is to have Michael Carter there. Especially because Trey Sermon has the size. You know, he has the upside that Michael Carter just doesn't have. Because we know size matters to NFL coaches. And a 201-pound running back is never going to be an every-down running back. Unless you are someone like Christian McCaffrey or, you know, Clyde Ritalaire, Travis Etienne, whatever whatever you think these guys actually weighed for real. You which, What's the common theme there? They're all first-round guys. Every single one of them was first-round guy. Michael Carter was day four guy, or day three, round four guy. But we're not here to talk about Michael Carter. We're not here to talk about Trey Sermon. We are here to talk about Kadarius Tony. Look, late breakout age. I get it. But we have to consider a few things. We have to consider that he was on the field with a round two wide receiver last year in Van Jefferson. We have to take into consideration that he was on the field with a once a decade, you know, once a generation, once in a lifetime, whatever you want to call him, tight end the last few years in Kyle Pitts. And we have to take into consideration the fact that Kadarius Tony wasn't always a wide receiver. He's still learning, he's still improving. He's just he's he's dynamic, he's an athlete, he's good with the ball in his hands, he's good after the catch. And that's why he got drafted in the first round. He got drafted in the first round. Well, given the stats, basically half of wide receivers in round one go on to have a 1,000-yard season. And, you know, I like, I mean, Jamar Chase is going to do it. Rashad Bateman is going to do it. Jalen Waddell, maybe. Devontae Smith, maybe. Kadarius Tony, maybe. So, by principle, I don't care what you think of him as a prospect. If you want to take Trey Sermon ahead of him, fine. Do not take Michael Carter over him. Do not take, yeah, I don't want to take Rondell Moore over him. I like Rondell Moore. I think he's a talented player, but, you know, like I talked about with Devontae Smith being 166 pounds, Rondell Moore is 5'7". He's five, like, He's never going to be a number one in a passing game. Never. He's already, I mean, at best, the wide receiver two this year in Arizona. But, I mean, he's probably going to be in a muddled mess every, with everyone behind DeAndre Hopkins. So, for me, it's Kadarius Tony here at the 111. I think as a first-round wide receiver, he deserved to be in the first round of rookie drafts. Now, I have him behind all those guys. I Behind a couple of round two guys. I I didn't say, I didn't mention his name in the tier with the, you know, Waddle, Marshall, Moore, Smith. But I think you could throw him in there with those guys. And honestly, like, if I have pick seven and Rashad Bateman's off the board, I'm comfortable trading down to pick 11. All the way down to pick 11 and just taking any one of those guys that's left. Look, we've seen, you know, I brought it up a lot last year. This is one of my main talking points with Brandon Ayuk and players like that. These are dynamic players. You know, we hear it all the time. It used to be a bad thing when someone said a wide receiver looked like a running back with the ball in their hands. For some reason, that used to be a bad thing. To me, it's a good thing. That's how you get A.J. Browns and Brandon Ayukes and Debo Samuels. And, I mean, CeeDee Lamb doesn't look like a running back because he's too skinny, but I mean, he's a punt returner. He was a punt returner in college. These are dynamic, you know, yards after the catch guys. Kadarius Tony isn't going to be the number one on his team. Okay, there's Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley. They're probably going to be the top two in targets, but... He could be the number three. I know Evan Ingram's got some raw talents and raw tools, but and he had a pretty good rookie year, but 
he's not been great the last few years. I mean, Kadarius Tony could easily slot in as the third option in this passing attack from day one with the first round draft capital in a division with mostly pretty high powered offenses and bad defenses. And they've got a pretty juicy pass, passing, you know, passing game schedule in 2021. There is a fairly easy road to relevance for Kadarius Tony as early as 2021. Now I, I know he's got a pretty erratic quarterback, but sometimes look, we've seen talented players with gunslingers like Daniel Jones be great for fantasy. Even if the quarterback themselves isn't very good, we've we know you know with Jameis Winston and Jay Cutler and Ryan Fitzpatrick and you know players like that, these these DGAF quarterbacks are often very good for their receiving options. And we have to afford that opportunity to Kadarius Tony. He's a round one guy. He's a dynamic player. He's got the DGAF quarterback. Everything is lining up. The like people don't like his film. Okay, he's improving. This is dynasty. Even if he doesn't fire in year one, give it time. Don't give up on these guys. Um, and so yeah, I think he belongs in round one. That brings me to the 112, and this is not super sexy, you know, especially since I have already stated that this is one quarterback league rankings, but my 112, yes, even in one quarterback, is Trevor Lawrence. Because, like I said earlier, he's bust-proof. All of these players, I mean, even a couple of the guys, several of the guys I just named are risky. A lot riskier than Trevor Lawrence, but their value upside is a lot higher than Trevor Lawrence's in single quarterback leagues. They're harder to replace than a quarterback is in single quarterback leagues. So that's why I had them ahead of Trevor Lawrence, but look, Trevor Lawrence is bust proof. It's as simple as that. You know, he's got DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones and Travis Etienne. James Robinson was pretty good in the passing game last year. I mean, he's got the talent. He's got talent around him. You know, he's got an ascending offensive line. He's bust-proof. He was great. He's one of the best quarterbacks, best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. And at the very least, he offers you a hit in the first round. If you're at the end of the first round and you take... Let's say you take Trey Sermon and he doesn't work out. Well, then you threw away your pick. You take Michael Carter and he's not going to work out. You threw away your pick. You take Rondell Moore, he doesn't work out. You threw away your pick. That, you know, it sucks. You know, if you don't want to take the quarterback there, especially because I think Trey Lance's upside is just as high. I think Justin Fields' upside is just as high. If you don't want to take the quarterback there, that's fine. I honestly don't blame you. But I had to put somebody there. I can't just put trade down right there, or else I would have put I would have put trade down from 107 on. <laughs> That's about what I had ranked at 107 is trade down. 108, trade down, 109, trade down, so on, so forth. But I can't do that. That's not good radio. That's not good, you know, that's not good content, even though I think it's probably the right move. But like I said, Trevor Lawrence is going to hit for you. He is going to be in your starting lineup at some point if you draft him. So, I mean, it's it's a guaranteed hit. And at the very least, you know, you can't be mad at that. But that is going to do it for the season two premiere. I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad you guys and girls are back with me, guys and gals. I had fun. Um, listen, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't remember how I went out last year. I'm going to give you all a see ya. Enjoy.